You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome into a hump day edition of Crunch Time here on the game, Southwest Louisiana's sports station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros, broadcasting live from the new and improved Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. As a reminder, Evco Development is a civil construction company specializing in new multifamily construction. Matt Miguez here on this Wednesday. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. That's 706-0111. And here in Acadiana, you can check us out on our simulcast at Stadium 32.3 and Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. Over in Austin, Texas last night, it was a defensive battle until it wasn't. Eight innings of scoreless baseball between the top-ranked LSU Tigers and the Texas Longhorns. Only eight hits between both teams in the game. But Gavin Dugod delivered a moonshot. A three-run homer to give the Tigers the three-run lead, and they would not look back as they went on to win 3 to nothing over the Longhorns. The Tigers getting those three runs on four hits. They committed one error. They left nine runners on base. While the Longhorns got no runs on four hits, they also committed one error, and they left six runners on base. We'll recap that game a little bit further. We will also talk about how it was a good night for the McNeese Cowboys. Jumped out to a huge lead and then had to hang on to it at the end. Louisiana nearly completed the comeback, falling just one run short. We'll talk about that game as well. The New Orleans Pelicans play tonight. Not that I'm I, I don't I don't think many people care. And at this point, I, I kid, of course, but it's a game where it is a must win. You're on the road in a tough place to play, and you're down Zion Williamson. And now you're down Larry Nance Jr. and Jose Alvarado. We'll also preview the regular season finale for Matt McMahon's first season in Baton Rouge as LSU hosts the Tigers of Missouri tonight. And the Louisiana Rage and Cajuns women's basketball team gets set to do battle in the Sun Belt Tournament tonight against App State in a 7.30 tip-off. In that one, my producer and co-host is Mr. James Mesh. James, happy hump day, sir. How are you? I'm doing good. Actually, I just got a lot better. Yeah, did did the intern Moses bring you a, bring you a nice little gift or something? He did. He actually brought me a couple of gifts. Oh, yeah? Is it, is it Yu-Gi-Oh cards? No, it's not Yu-Gi-Oh cards. That would have been great, though. No, he just brought me a Chris Olave rookie card. Okay. And then just brought me a rookie Derek Stingley card. Huh. So, shout out to Big Moses. Says the one that doesn't collect sports cards. I collect sports cards. I'm just not as, I'm just not as focused as you are. Uh-huh. I, got, I showed you my whole collection of sports cards. Uh-huh. A little bit of baseball, a lot of, a lot of football. It was funny because I remember I had bought a few packs and they were like more from back in the day, not as recent. So I got a, I got a good bit of old and new cards. This guy, a Chris Olave rookie card, huh? Yeah, not bad, not bad, not bad. 
So a couple of, of things that we're going to get into, and obviously we're going to talk more about the LSU baseball game here in, in a second. Let's start, though, with talking about the Pelicans a little bit. So the Pelicans are going to play the Trailblazers tonight in a 9 o'clock tip in a game where, like I said, it's a must-win. Pelicans are currently tied with the Trailblazers in the standings and cannot afford to lose from this point forward very often because obviously you're not going to win out. There's just... There's just no way that's going to happen. You have a half-game lead on Portland right now. But the way Damian Lillard has been playing as of late, including his 71-point performance the other night, which was just absolutely absurd, the Pelicans need all the help they can get. C.J. McCollum has been okay. Brandon Ingram has been your go-to guy as of late. And then everybody else is just kind of there. James, what are you noticing about the Pelicans that is kind of, I mean, outside of injuries, is their biggest issue on the court right now? I'd say probably their breakdown defense. Because a lot of time I'll watch them, it's like, oh, it's a good set. It looks solid. And then the point guard makes one move, and all of a sudden you just look, and everybody's just like, oh, there goes it easy easy layup to the basket like maybe they'll contend it contest a shot but it's like so many times I watch and they'll just make one quick move it's not like it's a it's a dribble combination like you would see with Harden or something sometimes it's just they get the first step and they're just too slow to react and they just blow by them that's my big issue and then sometimes they don't even they don't even box out for rebounds like you'll see a a wide that's that's my biggest thing you'll you'll watch them do a wide the other team shoot a wide open three and they're just like wow and everybody just stands there. Oh, crap. I'm supposed to go get a right. rebound. And then it's too late, and then they get a putback. Or yep. they reset the offense again. Mm-hmm. That's, that's that's my, my biggest thing. Issue. Yeah. Um, and you saw it a couple times the other night when they played. Who who, who was it that they played the other night? Orlando. Um, there, was, there was one. I saw Paulo Bancaro shoot a wide-open three from the top of the key. All five Pelicans players are within 12 feet of the basket. And if I'm not mistaken, Paolo got his own rebound. He was either Paolo or somebody else. But they ended up getting an offensive rebound, reset the possession. Reset the offense, and they got points out of it. Yeah, Yeah. That's a five-point swing right there. And so it's plays like that that on the surface you look at it when it first happens and go, oh, you know, well, that's not a huge deal. But then when you lose by three – that five-point swing can come back to bite you. So those plays make a big difference down the stretch more times than not. Um, so the Pelicans really need to find a way to get back on the right track. They're four and six in their last ten, losers of their last four. Um, Portland, they, they're coming off a loss last night, 123-105 to 105 to Golden State. But again... You know, you, you look at who the Pelicans are going to be missing. Larry Nance Jr. is out. Jose Alvarado is out. Zion Williamson is out. Jonas Valanciunas is day-to-day. Josh Richardson is day-to-day. It's a lot of bodies. That's a, it's a starting five. 
right there. So what can Willie Green and the Pelicans put together in these final 20 games to where you kind of somewhat live up to the preseason expectation that you were going to be a top six team? And not even looking at the rest of the schedule as a whole. Just looking at tonight, yes, Damian Lillard, he's been on an absolute tear the last 12 games. But looking at the last nine, Trailblazers are only three and six. Like, it's not the best record, even though their star player has been absolutely nuclear within that time. It's not like they've been the best. And even if you want to include those other three, that that puts it to, that makes it six and six. That's just 500 ball. And your star players putting up monster numbers night in, night out, and it's mm-hmm. still not enough for them to win. Right. Well, so even so, even though you're going to have a tough opponent and you're going to have to guard somebody that's been on a hot streak and you won't be without bodies, you still feel like you got a good chance. I mean, you're still ahead of them by a half game. you still got three matchups with them this season for the rest of the year. But it's still kind of winnable even though you were down the bodies. Well, for sure. and Because the thing is, is when you look at – the roster for the Trailblazers. Who, who do they have other than Dane? Jeremy Grant. Anthony Simons is a is a nice. Anthony Simons is okay. Yeah, he's a nice solid piece, but he's really young. He's not somebody that's usually going to take over a game. You're you're paying a hobbled Yusuf Nurkic fifteen point six million dollars a year. Um, Anthony Simons is making twenty two. Jeremy Grant's making nearly twenty one million. And then Dame's making forty three million. And Cam Reddish, we were watching a YouTube video earlier. Oh, I, he, it, he popped up as one of the guys that it's like to it's give up probably on. time to give up on this guy. Yep. Uh, it, and you know, it's a shame because I was a big fan of Cam Reddish coming out of Duke. Mm-hmm. I he was a guy that I actually wanted the Pelicans to find a way to trade back into the draft that year, and team him with Zion. And instead, you drafted Jackson Hayes, which that's, yeah, yeah. But uh, again, I, I agree with your point. This is a winnable game for the Pelicans if they show up, because you're not just gonna, you know, go through the motions and, and play sixty percent ball and, and be, still expect and beat to Portland. win. No. You're just not going to. Damian Lillard is going to drop 60 on you, and that's going to be enough for them to win. So which Pelicans team shows up tonight is going to be the key. And if they can get a win here, you go to Golden State next, who's still good. And they're getting healthy. They're getting healthier. Draymond's back. Steph Curry is looking to be back very soon. Curry could be back next week. Um, But I still feel like that's winnable. And then you go to Sacramento. Third in the West. That that seems a little unlikely, but you never know. Things could happen. Maybe you catch them on and off. Maybe night. you catch them. Maybe. And I know we talked about it yesterday. Going 3-0 on this West Coast road trip seems highly unlikely. And but it even, is. <laughs> but even going 2-1. If you can go 2-1 on this, I count that as an absolute you, you gotta, dub. you got to be coming back to New Orleans feeling good about yourself. And where you're at for the final 17 games of the season. Because at that point, you're probably sitting 7 or 8. 
right there on the cusp of being back in that top six conversation and not even playing in the play-in. So if you're the New Orleans Pelicans, you need this West Coast road trip to go right. Very, very right. Call us up on the game hotline, 337-706-0111. Also, if you want to win a pair of tickets to Aerial Angels next week at Michael's Men's Club, all you got to do is call the game hotline, 337-706-0111. No catch, no gimmicks. Literally dial the number, and you've got a pair of tickets to the show next Wednesday night at Michael's in Broussard. Ross Jackson is going to join us at the top of hour number two, live from Indianapolis. We'll get his thoughts on the scouting combine, who's impressed, who is not, and how did the Saints meeting with Derek Carr go? We'll talk about him with that. We'll talk about that with him and much more. And also, Corey Diaz will come on to preview LSU women's basketball as they departed for Greenville, South Carolina today for the SEC women's basketball tournament. We'll do all that and much more here throughout the afternoon on Crunch Time. We'll take a timeout now. When we return, we'll talk Cajuns and Cowboys, and you'll hear from both Justin Hill and Matt Deggs next. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. We here at the game know you love our shenanigans both on and off the air, so we want to help you help us. Go and subscribe to our YouTube channel at The Game Louisiana. Click on the bell so you can get notifications when we post new content as well as our game recaps. Help us get to 1,000 subscribers and see more of the fun behind the scenes and after work mischief at The Game Louisiana on YouTube. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Crunch Time here on The Game. It's 419 here on your hump day last night in Lake Charles. The Louisiana Raging Cajuns and the McNeese Cowboys had a thrilling baseball game. McNeese jumped out to a 5 nothing lead in the contest, including two critical home runs for the Cowboys before Louisiana kind of made a late-game comeback, falling just short in the contest. A final score of 5-4 to four was the final in that game, McNeese getting a critical win after a slower start to the season. They now sit at 4-4 four and four so far on the year. In the contest, though, again, we talked about McNeese jumping out to that 5 nothing lead, including two solo home runs. Your winning pitcher was Kanan Morrow. Losing pitcher for the Cajuns was Brendan Moody. Christian Vega getting the save. Brad Burkle and Peyton Harden each getting the two solo shots to jump out to a 2-0 lead. A little later on, a single a fielder's choice RBI scored Burkle to make it 3-0 in the fourth. And then Harden with a sack fly to right field to score Hext to make it 4-0. 
And then the Cajuns kind of came back a little bit in the eighth, scoring two off of a Carson Rockefeller double and a Julian Brock sack fly. And then McNeese would add another one to make it five to two. And then a CJ Willis single, a CJ Willis double and a Kyle DeBarge single would score two more runs for the Cajuns. But that would be it. Again, McNeese winning that game five to four. And following the victory, both Matt Deggs and Justin Hill met with the media. And we'll we'll focus on McNeese now. Justin Hill said, or Justin Hill was asked, how does it feel to pick up a win like this against Louisiana? Obviously, a lot of respect for what they do. Um, look, all the non-conference games are the same um, in, in that you know regard. Uh, that's why we felt comfortable with going with the guys, you know, and burning Morrow for you know at least part of the weekend. Um, and, and look, this is the time you start to find who guys are and what what they do. So um, I thought that was really big in, in doing that. So I mean, when are they going to pitch? Are they going to start? Are they going to kind of the bullpen? You know, we we, we got to see. You know what I'm saying? We got to see. So I mean, we got we got a little bit of time before the you know obviously conference starts. And uh, but you know, we're going to enjoy this one tonight. Coach Hill also talked about his winning pitcher in the contest, Kanan Morrow. Well, I think he's going to, you know, he, he's come in those big moments so far on both weekends. Um, first of all, I thought he was fantastic today. I mean, he came in on Saturday, threw the ball okay. Probably the first inning was really good, second inning not so great. Uh, but, you know, it, it kind of came down between him and Ty today. But Ty going um, Friday, Saturday, Morrow going on, going on Saturday, that just made a little bit more sense, and um, it really didn't surprise us that, that what he could do. Um, you know, I'm sure he'd like to have a few of those walks back, but I thought he threw the ball really, really well against a good offensive team, um, and he was able to navigate around those walks. I mean, so um, I thought I'm really proud of him and what he did. On the other side, Matt Deggs talked about his thoughts on the midweek loss in Lake Charles to McNeese. You know, credit to them, they beat us at our own game tonight, and uh, they destroyed fastballs all night long, and uh, they were able to jump two balls out of here that that really mattered, and uh, they played error-free defense, they stole bases, they threw runners out, all things that we're accustomed to doing, and uh, we got started too late and ran out of innings. I don't think it was a matter of want to, I think it was a matter of fixing our approach and uh, finally uh, waking up towards the end of the game and getting going. DeBarge had, Kyle DeBarge that is, had a couple of big opportunities. There were two in particular where in an, on a normal night it probably would have flown out of the ballpark, but the wind was able to keep it in. And head coach Matt Deggs talked about the hits by Kyle DeBarsh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, get under a little bit, and it's a it's a jack. He hit it so hard, you know, fast. He's one of the fastest guys on the field. It's a single, but they don't hold him. I don't know. Uh, I'm still second, and I've got him in scoring position. Just trying to get rock to the plate right there, and uh, you know, it wasn't our night. But uh, love these boys. I love the way they play, and bounce back on Friday. He talks about bouncing back on Friday. They will host the Campbell Fighting Camels. This weekend at Russo Park, Coach Dex talked about what's on what's ahead for the weekend. Yeah, yeah, uh, you know we're looking forward to playing those guys. They're a great program, and uh, you know I just didn't want to look past this one, and and uh, don't know that we did as much as they they beat us at our game tonight. If anything, I still think it should be the Campbell Soup. The soup, yeah, just the soup. What's like the, how it what's is. What's the logo? A just, soup can. Yeah, the Campbell's Chunky Soup Can. This or, guy. or even better, what you could do, it could still be, it could, st- 
It can still be the camel. We'll call it the camel's chunky camel. Make him a little more robust, but still look angry with that face. Uh-huh. I think oh. they should look into that. I think that'd be great. The, you know, the Campbell's chunky camel. You know, I'm I'm gonna say this. We we call Kevin Foot a treasure. Mm-hmm. James, you are not. <laughs> you might be the farthest thing from a treasure. No, I, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I mean, how how did you sit there and go, Campbell? Yeah. They should be the chunky camels. Ch- chunky soup. The Campbell's chunky soup. But keep it still a camel since we can't just go with soup. So make it a chunky camel. There, there, there it is. Anyways, moving away from that. <laughs> looking at some top stories in the world of sports. Anthony Davis will be out tonight against the Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, that now means the two stars for the Lakers are out. LeBron James is out indefinitely with a foot injury, and now Anthony Davis is out with a foot injury. Do they need better podiatrists in L.A.? Just a, just a thought. Maybe. Um, also, top draft prospect Jalen Carter has two arrest warrants in Athens, Georgia, for reckless driving and racing in connection with a crash that killed one of his teammates and a recruiting staff member. Uh, He was at the scouting combine earlier today, um, and you saw on Twitter that he would not be speaking with the media because he was still conducting a physical and that he would be heading back to Athens to, quote, answer the misdemeanor charges and to make certain that the complete and accurate truth is presented. Not a great look for a guy that, in some circles of the NFL draft, was going to be, could could have been a number one overall pick. It'll be interesting to see if that stays intact. Another thing that we've talked about on this show is Lamar Jackson and his contract saga. According to the Ravens GM, Lamar Jackson is a coveted member of the Ravens organization. Well, sir, you sure aren't acting like it. Because if he was such a coveted member of the organization, would he not already be signed? Would he not already have a deal in place? I mean, right? I mean, one side's got to give for a contract to work, and neither of them have given up any position. And and I, I agree. Because it's still a business. Like, look, you can want what you want, but we still got to keep it within reason because we're still a business at the end of the day. No, we're a football team, but this is still a business. I agree. We got to we got to find and make make a make a way to make the numbers work. But who's to say they aren't still they're still working on that behind the scenes? You telling me that you're not going to give a little bit for Lamar Jackson? Depends on what like his actual number is. Because if it's absolutely ludicrous compared to what you're looking at, of course there's going to be still a divide at this point. You still don't have a contract yet. If it was something minuscule, you would have gotten that within like the first week. 
I, I just don't. I'm not saying give Lamar whatever the hell he wants, but I mean, how far off can you possibly be? If it's within, I don't know. Well, if, Lam- if Lamar's still sticking with not one, t- like if he's given this number and he's stuck with it the whole time and never faltered and be like, okay, well maybe this much. Okay, well how about this much? Like if they're both sticking, like, hey, I'm only giving you this. And I'm only and I'm only willing to give you this. Well, then it's going to be tough to make it this. You can, you can still have them and be like, "Hey, look, we obviously still want you, but you're asking for this number, and we're only look. We can only do this. We know you're talented, but we got to be able to pay other positions. We just paid Roquan. You're gonna have to. You're you're pro- unless you're moving on from like Patrick Queen soon. You have to pay Patrick Queen as well. You got other people that you're gonna have to pay as well. So it's like if Lamar is gonna eat up like this type of contract, that's you. You can't just look at it this year. You also have to look at it next year and having a huge investment in a quarterback like Lamar Jackson, that's gonna probably want a huge type of number. You have to find out. You're gonna have to try and figure out and see sooner or later. Like hey, and plus you got until you got a while to still come up with a number. You still you? you still got a good bit of time. Sure, free agency is going to free agency is going to hit soon, so you'd like to get it over with, but it's not like it's a done deal. Like you have a deadline by March fifteenth. If not, I'm out of here. I'm never talking to you again. Yeah, but starting March fifteenth, other teams can talk to him. Yes, absolutely. So, would you would you have liked to have gotten this done by now? If you're the Ravens, yes, you absolutely would have been able to. You would have loved to have gotten this over with, but both of you have to have the numbers aligned for the for Lamar to put pen to paper. I would just I would like to know. I would like to be a fly on the wall in those uh, conversations. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to see what the GM because... is saying and what Lamar's saying, and see like, okay, well, actually, how far are we? Like, if we're like twenty million or like fifteen million off from what you want and what we're willing to give. And yeah, that's kind of tough. Because fifteen million difference, I mean, thirty-two dude, to forty-seven. There was there that's, were that's there pretty were big. Report, there were reports a couple months ago that they were a hundred million dollars apart. That would be, but that would be over like a five-year. I'm talking about a per-year basis. I'm saying like if it was thirty-two a year compared to forty-seven a year. Yeah. Then it, then it's going to add up to about that hundred mil. But I'm I was looking at it on a per-year basis, like. We're looking to give about thirty-two. You're looking for about forty-seven. At the a end, year. at the end of the day, can you walk away from a top-tier quarterback like that? No, and that's why I think one of them very soon. I feel like it and, would be the Ravens. And Lamar Jackson knows that, mm-hmm. which is why he's, he's not budging. He, which that yeah, that's why he hasn't moved on from his number yet. I don't know what the number is, but. He, he hasn't moved on from that. I understand you got to pay Patrick Queen, and but dude, you can't do anything without a quarterback, and you know you got one. It's it's going to put you in this tough predicament because now you get now your all, all your eggs are yeah. in that Lamar Jackson basket. You know you've got one, so it, it's kind of hard to not. I, I don't want to say it's it's hard to not give him what he wants, but it's kind of hard to not just give him what he wants. You're gonna you're gonna have to be very cl- you're gonna have to hit a number pretty close to what he yeah. wants. He'll he'll give a little bit, but you're gonna have to give a lot. <laughs> you're gonna have to pay. 
So interested to see how that plays out over the next couple of weeks, especially once free agency opens. But we'll take a timeout here on Crunch Time 433. And when we return, we're going to talk some golf. The Arnold Palmer Invitational kicks off tomorrow, starts a big stretch of tournaments for the PGA Tour. We'll talk about that. We'll also preview the week ahead in NASCAR and much more right here on the game. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Slings it far side. Stingley steps inside the receiver and picks it off. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. A shot to left field. Going back on its Gordon. He'll look up at the goner. You're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Back here on Crunch Time 438. On your hump day edition, the game hotline is 337-706-0111. That's 706-0111. Your poll question of the day, it's our foodie poll question of the week. What is your go-to seafood during Lent? Is it crawfish? Is it shrimp? Is it fish? Is it other? So far, 41% saying shrimp, 35% saying crawfish. 15% saying fish, and 9% saying other. James, what's your go-to? Man, if I was a kook like you, I would have crawfish every time. Wow, he broke out the Outer Banks reference. I did, I did. He called me a kook. Uh, I mean. That's so not nice. Moses first brought it up, so. That's so not nice. P for L. (laughs) Poke for life, baby. Poke for life, Uh uh-huh. Go pokes. I work hard for what I have. I'm a poke. Mm-hmm. But no, for me, I would love to go with crawfish as often, but I can't necessarily crawfish, say it's crawfish, a go-to. Crawfish is expensive. Yeah, so I, that's why to me it's not necessarily a go-to for me. Uh, but for my church, what we do for Lent is we do catfish dinners. So, so we we usually, I guess you could say that's more of a go-to for me since so much easier i could just drive seven minutes down the road go go to go to my church go pick up a go pick up a catfish dinner some people might scold me for this you hate catfish i don't hate it okay i'll eat it Mm -hmm. but i have to like really like man i want some catfish interesting like some people can just go to a restaurant and order or like kind of like order like salmon or tuna or like you can go pick up a catfish plate Mm -hmm. like nah i can't do that I couldn't do that. Now, if I go to, say, like a plate lunch place and their plate lunch is shrimp fettuccine and, you know, for a dollar more, you can get two strips of fried catfish. I might pay the dollar more to get the two strips of catfish. But would I, like, order catfish dinners and specifically go get catfish at a restaurant? No. No. I mean, if I'm going to like a restaurant, restaurant, no, I'm not going to go get catfish. I'd go towards shrimp. Like Bubba said, it's the fruit of the sea. Cool. You could do so much with shrimp. Barbecue shrimp, shrimp stew, shrimp, shrimp gumbo, scampi, bang bang shrimp. Chiny. Do a lot with shrimp. We can do it. You can do a lot with shrimp. You can do a lot. Shrimp salad. I mean, there's just so much. Jenny. During Lent. It lines up with crawfish season. It's just meant. It's just meant to be. You can get shrimp year-round. I can order shrimp 52 weeks out of the year. I cannot order crawfish 52 weeks out of the year. 
So during Lent, call me a kook if you want. Your boy's getting crawfish. Kook. Your boy's getting crawfish. Because, oh my God, just so good. But anyways, looking at the week ahead, the Arnold Palmer Invitational at Bay Hill is getting ready to get underway tomorrow. It's always a very fun tournament for the PGA Tour. Bay Hill has been talked about as being one of the toughest courses on tour. Uh, The Puerto Rico Open also going down this weekend, although anybody that is anybody in golf will be playing at Bay Hill. Looking at some of the bigger named tee times, Scotty Scheffler and Justin Thomas are in a group together tomorrow, teeing off at 6.38 a.m. James Mesh, you going to be up to see that? Scotty Scheffler and JT at 6.38 in the morning? No. You sure? I'm confident. What about... This man said, are you waking up at 6.30? Dude, don't even with me. Okay. Because I, I literally did not sleep for that Saturday Youngsville parade. Literally didn't sleep. All right. Well, th- and, then, and then when I went to go do the tournament on Sunday, slept three hours? All right. All right. So this, I, I'm, I'm, I'm good on waking up early for a while. This group will be good. What about Max Homa, Rory McIlroy, and Tyrell Hatton at 11.50 a.m.? We can work with that. So, we we okay. can work with 11.50 a.m. We, we, we <laughs> can work with lunchtime, this man says. A.K.A. my breakfast. Oh, my God. It'll be my first meal of the day. Oh, What time's dinner for you, typically? Uh, you, you brought the cat out of the bag. So if let's say breakfast is at 11.30. Like a what us- time's, what like time's a, lunch? Usual day? What time's lunch? Four? You can say that. So right when the show starts? Yeah. Why do you think I go snack? <laughs> okay, so dinner's at what, 10? No. Dinner is like right after the show. So this man like about si- Like about 6, 30, 7 o'clock. This man like needs fin- lunch. Finish and- up the rest, and then when I get home, if I'm still hungry, sure. But then I probably won't eat again until like 10, 11, 12-ish. You know what I'm doing at 10 or 11? Sleeping. Not not usually. Your head's on your pillow, though. Yes. Yes. I'm, I'm usually watching TV, getting ready to go to sleep uh, at that point. I'm, I'm old, dude. I'm going to be 26 this year. I know. You're, you're basically a boomer. I'm going to be 26 this year. I am old. I, am, I can't wait for somebody. I can't wait for somebody to call and be like, "I am on the backside of my twenties," and I, I hope someone rips you a new one it, for that. I, you look seven zero six zero one one one. I'm going to give you the number. I mean, dial, dial it. it, dial <laughs> it up. Go ahead. But okay, so looking at the Arnold Palmer Invitational, getting back to. The, the the topic at hand. I'm going to give you five names to look out for in this tournament. Scotty Scheffler, because he is on an absolute tear. He is ranked fifth best in the world right now. He is playing out of his mind, and this is the stretch of golf where he turned it on last year as well. So look for him to have 
a big tournament. Sam Burns, Jordan Spieth, both of them could could win this event. Will Zalatoris as well, and then of course Roy McIlroy, the the top golfer in in the world as it stands, and, and John Rahm. So that's six. I, I gave you an extra. Look for those guys to make an impact and compete for the Arnold Palmer Invitational this weekend at Bay Hill. It gets underway tomorrow. First group, like we said, teeing off right at 6 o'clock in the morning. And coverage begins at 6 o'clock in Orlando, Florida. Also, looking at NASCAR this weekend, they're headed to Las Vegas for the Firekeepers Casino 400. This is always a, a fun race. Vegas is a intriguing track for NASCAR. It's the Pennzoil 400, excuse me, um, in Las Vegas on Sunday at 2.30. It's always a fun race. This is a difficult track for a lot of drivers. And Kyle Busch is on a tear right now coming off of his win at Auto Club. He has now won at least one race in the previous 19 seasons of NASCAR. He and his brother Kurt are also now the winningest brother duo in NASCAR history. So there's that for you. And then he is also a two-time champion, and this is his first win with Richard Childress Racing. Looking at the drivers who have entered the Las Vegas race, most of your, your typicals, your Christopher Bell, Chase Elliott, Tyler Reddick, Kyle Busch, Denny Hamlin, Ryan Blaney, Martin Truex Jr., Joey Logano, William Byron, on and down the list. Nobody particularly absent other than Kurt Busch, who is still dealing with head injuries that he suffered last season. Um, he, is, he is yet to be medically cleared to return to racing. So, as it stands now, Ty Gibbs is running in his car. But looking ahead, you know, not even not even just in NASCAR, in sports in general, this weekend is going to be loaded. You've got spring training baseball. You've got conference tournaments in college basketball. You have another great weekend of college baseball and college softball. You've got NASCAR. You've got the NBA. You've got a great golf tournament. There will always be something to watch. The USFL, not, not the USFL, the XFL is on this weekend as well. Plenty to watch in the world of sports, and we won't let you miss a second of it. We're going to take a time out here. When we return, it's time for Mesh's segment where we're going to discuss, is there a point to spring training? We'll do that next. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. 
Join us for a day of golf and giving at the Games Charity Golf Scramble, benefiting Redbird Ministries, sponsored by courtesy of Burr Bridge. Hit the links at Farm D Alley while supporting a great cause with all proceeds from the tournament going towards Redbird Ministries' mission of serving families who have been given the extraordinary cross to carry the loss of a child. In addition to 18 holes of golf, the day will include great prizes, food, drink, and a great day with the staff at the game and courtesy Bro Bridge. So gather your friends and colleagues for a fun day on the course while making a difference in the lives of those in need. Get your foursome together and register now at 1037thegame.com, and together we can make a difference. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update, presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. I do want to remind you that Aerial Angels, you can get a couple of tickets. You can get a pair of tickets for free. There's no catch, nothing. You don't have to answer a question like we did with previous giveaways. All you have to do is just call 706-0111. Call the game hotline and get a couple of tickets to Aerial Angels. Let's talk about spring training and preseason in general, Matt, because the Houston Astros, they just played the Boston Red Sox. A little teary-eyed, I see. They tied in a baseball game because in spring training, you don't do extra innings. Correct. Here's the thing for me, though. Other than football, because for football to me, it's kind of mandatory. You you saw it. it took like eight weeks for them to finally get back into shape. With basketball, with baseball, with hockey, they take they play 82 and 162 games. What do you need this many preseason games and spring training games for? You have well, all that time to get ready anyway. I'm going to disagree with you on, on the NBA and, and the NHL. I think the way that they do preseason is fine. But baseball, I agree with you 100%. You play for 162 games out of the year. You play from the end of March to the end of October. Playing a whole extra month of spring training ball, little much. I And I, I get that spring training is the opportunity for you know, your farm system to get a taste of, of, of pro baseball and, and to give them the opportunity to develop their skills and, and things like that. But what are you selling to the consumer to make you want to watch spring training baseball? Because even if the consumer was interested, first of all, it's almost impossible to find spring training ball on TV other than the occasional games that, that get broadcasted on, on, on the four-letter network. It's hard It's hard to find spring training baseball. And then, unless you live, breathe, and die whatever baseball team that you follow, there's a chance that you don't know 25% of the guys on the team. And and again, you know, I, I get the point of developing and giving yourselves the opportunity, but a Jose Altuve or, or an Alex Bregman or a Kyle Tucker doesn't need spring training. 
maybe a week. Get yourself back in the swing, knock your rust off, take some take a take a hack at somebody other than your own pitcher, and then let's roll. It's a 162 game season. But no, basketball and hockey they play maybe 10 preseason games. I'm okay with that. I I think that's plenty enough to to knock the rust off and and get prepared for the regular season. But baseball, you're playing double that in regular season games plus another what, 20 to 25 in spring training. It's just a lot. Um and so look, I I'm not I'm not asking the MLB to to change the way that they do things. I just don't know that I necessarily agree with it. We'd love to hear what you think. 337-706-0111. In hour number two, we're going to kick it off with our guy Ross Jackson live from Indianapolis. He's at the NFL Scouting Combine. We'll get his thoughts on who's stood out thus far, plus his thoughts on the Derek Carr interview yesterday with the Saints. And Corey Diaz will join us at 530 to preview Kim Mulkey and her team's road to an SEC tournament championship in Greenville, South Carolina. All that and much more coming up here in our number two of Crunch Time right here on The Game. It's 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. It is your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Our number two coming up right after this top of the hour sports update. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. It's hour number two of Crunch Time here on the game at Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette, Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in multifamily construction. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, the game hotline is 337-706-0111. And here in Acadiana, you can check us out on our simulcast, Stadium 32.3 and Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. In hour number one, we recapped LSU baseball's 3-0 win over Texas. We also touched on McNeese taking down the Louisiana Rage and Cajuns 5-4 in Lake Charles last night. We touched on the New Orleans Pelicans and their road to hopefully staying in the playoffs. And much more here in hour number two. We're going to preview LSU women's basketball and their road in the SEC tournament coming up this week in Greenville, South Carolina. But right now we are joined by Mr. Ross Jackson live from Indianapolis at the NFL Scouting Combine. Ross, what's going on, bud? How are you? Hey, hey, buddy. Doing great, doing great. Uh, Thanks so much as always for having me on. So I, I know the Combine doesn't officially get underway until tomorrow, but today was kind of the the interview portion and the opportunity for the prospects to to get used to to that side of the business. So, what stood out to you today? Yeah, I think you know there's a couple of different things from around the NFL that stand out first. Uh, I think that's kind of the biggest thing. There's kind of the you know weird sort of cloud over the player interviews today with the Jalen Carter news breaking and all that, that kind of prematurely kind of ended things with the defensive linemen and all. But, you know, one of my favorite prospects in this year's draft, defensive lineman Kalaja Kansi out of Pittsburgh. 
Um, had a great interview, kind of spoke a little bit on his size concerns and things like that. Six foot, 280 pounds. Not usually the build that you look for in a defensive tackle, but somebody like him who has you know, racked up. He led the nation amongst defensive tackles of 14 and a half sacks last year. Or excuse me, 14 and a half tackles for a loss last year. Added seven and a half sacks as well. Just incredibly disruptive player. Very hard to get your hands on. Uh, really active fighter, all of those things. So looking forward to seeing his uh, workouts and drills tomorrow. But uh, I do think there were a couple of other things that really stood out. I think, you know, you see a clear indication here that the you know New Orleans Saints want to get something done with uh, Derek Carr. There's a lot of that conversation bubbling about. There's also a lot to look at in terms of, you know, um, I-, I thought Pete Carroll had some interesting things to say in terms of teams being too quick to move on from quarterbacks using Geno Smith as uh, as an example of that, even though the Seattle Seahawks may be on their way to fumble in the bag with Geno Smith and, you know, Geno Smith potentially becoming a free agent. So uh, lots of, you know, kind of interesting things, as, as is often the case here at the, uh, the, the NFL uh, scouting combine. But, uh, you know, things really get underway in earnest tomorrow when it comes to those workouts. So you, you brought up the, the Derek Carr conversation with the New Orleans Saints. What, what, have, what have you been told? How did that conversation go, and, and where do the Saints stand with Derek Carr? Yeah, everything seems to be you know positive when it comes to uh, Derek Carr and, and the New Orleans Saints. Not to say that there's anything imminent at all between the team and player, but it seems that they've continued some mutual interest between the two, and Derek Carr is doing what is you know expected of, of a player and is expected by his representation, which is effectively trying to drum up interest from another team. I think you can pretty clearly... Uh, see that. And so I think the New York Jets are obviously a part of that conversation. He also met and spoke with the uh, Carolina Panthers. Feels a little bit more like the Carolina Panthers are just kind of getting a gauge of their options. They seem to be, you know, building themselves up and getting ready to draft a quarterback and develop one if you look at their coaching staff and the decisions that they've made there. But you know, uh, Dennis Allen spoke on his uh, relationship with Derek Carr, also spoke on the idea that, you know, look, he's a very, very good leader, and that's something that the Saints uh, very much value at the quarterback position as well as his work ethic, also something else that they value at the position. So it's very clear that the Saints, uh, even though it hasn't been echoed as loudly as the positivity around the New York Jets visit, uh, that the Saints had a very positive visit with Derek Carr when he came here, uh, when he well, when he went to New Orleans, rather, um, to you know, meet before he became a free agent, and then, of course, continuing on uh, in Indianapolis with his meeting with the team. Uh, now as a free agent as well. So I just have to ask, the scouting combine this year was presented by No Bull and kind of went away from the athletes wearing Under Armour while they participate in the combine. Ross, my question is, is did you get hooked up with some No Bull swag? <laughs> no, 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 but there's still days. There's still days. Maybe something like that's uh, on, on the way for sure. So tomorrow the, the drills are going to get underway with the defensive line and linebackers. The defensive line for sure is a need for the New Orleans Saints. You're, you're getting older in that, in that front four for the New Orleans Saints with guys like Cam Jordan and Carl Granderson, and you're also more than likely moving on from Marcus Davenport. Who are you looking forward to, to seeing in that group tomorrow? Yeah, I think the edge rushers and edge defenders are going to be a, a bit of a focus for the Saints, but I actually look at the interior defensive line as the biggest need for them. They, they don't have any defensive tackles on contract going into 2023, not a single one. And, you know, they bought themselves some time with David Onyemata. His contract went from expiring mid, mid-February to now mid-March, so they bought themselves some time to try to work on 
uh, another extension with him, but nothing's guaranteed there. Guys like Shai Tuttle, Malcolm Rush, Contavia Street, they were all on one-year deals last year. And so they're set to be free agents. Jordan Jackson, who they drafted last year, is already a Denver Bronco, even before Sean Payton heads that way. And so, you know, I look at the interior defensive line as a big-time need for, for the Saints. So Elijah Cansey, who, who I just mentioned, is a, you know, a great option if you're looking for somebody that's a you know, penetrating three-tech that's a really good uh, pass rusher. Uh, keep in mind, the Saints also just brought in a new defensive line coach in Todd Grantham, who is formerly the Florida Gators uh, defensive coordinator, though he had a stop in Alabama in between. And one of the guys that he recruited is going to be at the Combine uh, tomorrow and testing tomorrow, and that's Garon Dexter, uh, who is somebody that you know can get some pressure for you, can be an immediate penetrator, very good off the snap, gets moved a little bit on double teams, but handles one-on-ones and has shown sort of these flashes of dominance, really good in the run game as well. And so he gives you maybe a little bit of a dual nature. And then you know one other guy that I'm going to be watching is going to be Wisconsin defensive tackle Keanu Benton, who's a little bit bigger, six foot four, six foot five, three hundred eighteen, three hundred twenty pounds. Um, and just a, a big-time run stuffer, the kind of guy that is kind of akin to Malcolm Brown, who the Saints traded away to the Jacksonville Jaguars years ago and really have, ever since, never been able to find anybody quite like him to assist in the run game and eat up double teams to get the edge rushers uh, one-on-one opportunities. So it really, for me, it's the, the interior guys there. But but one defensive end that I'll mention, or one edge rusher that I'll mention, is uh, Adetomo Adobare out of uh, Northwestern, who... You know, can move inside and out. He's a little bit more about the, uh, you know, a little bit more of the Saints' frame at the edge rusher position of being about 280 pounds. But he's about six foot three, six foot two. He'll measure in somewhere around there. Uh, but explosives off the line of scrimmage, extremely violent, really good collection of pass rushing moves. Not really a first round prospect, but somebody that you can grab in the second or third round that can have an immediate impact on your team as you try to get younger at that spot. Chatting with Ross Jackson, host of the Locked On Saints podcast. He joins us here on crunch time saturday the quarterbacks wide receivers and tight ends will participate in combine drills the big story out of that is the fact that bryce young is not going to throw at the combine are you surprised by that no not not really any reason that he should throw and honestly there's you know i look at a couple of other players like that as well like Bijan robinson i don't think should test really at all um I think for the quarterbacks in particular, and we're seeing this more and more and more in the NFL and at the NFL scouting combine is because of the sort of archaic nature of the workouts of the drills in particular, 40 yard dash, three cone drill, all these other things that quarterbacks just aren't participating as much because there's no real life, you know, translation of those drills to practical game usage. And so for a guy like Bryce Young, who potentially stands more to you know, stands to lose more than he stands to gain. Uh, even when it comes to the on-field drills, in terms of throwing on air and throwing in his underwear and all these other things, there's just not really any value for him to do that. The value for him instead is the team interviews, getting in front of more teams. He didn't, you know, he wasn't a Senior Bowl participant, so him, you know, being able to sit down with teams, interview, you know, do the head, you know, do the shoulders up football or above the shoulders football stuff. Those are going to be the things that are going to continue to solidify Bryce Young. Or, excuse me, yes, Bryce Young's. Um, uh, sort of position at the top of the NFL draft in the top of the quarterback class. So I think that's more important for him. So not very surprising. In fact, I think it's actually a wise decision for the young man. So if he doesn't throw, do do you see him running a forty or, or doing anything? I I don't know why he would. Uh, I, I suppose he could. Uh, but I mean, if you're not going to do the on-field drills, I don't know why you would waste your time as a quarterback doing the workouts. Um, you know, I, I think we're just seeing more and more that. 
workouts like the 40 yard dash and the vertical leap and broad jump like how do these things translate to a quarterback's on-field play they they really don't it's one of the reasons why you know Troy Vincent speaks year in and year out about you know revamping the combine and finding things that are actually practically translatable in terms of the you know how do you translate somebody's game in these drills or in these workouts to on the field so he may but you know if i was his advisor i would be advising for him not because what if he runs that 40 and pulls a hamstring then where is he going into the nfl draft right and so at this point you can really only stand to hurt yourself more than you stand to help yourself in things that really have no indication of what you can do on a football field so as we continue the conversation about Derek carr with the saints one you know thing that connects to that story is the status of Michael Thomas. Ross, do you think that if the Saints can get Derek Carr's deal done in the next two weeks, that that could change their long-term outlook on Michael Thomas? Yeah, it could. I mean, the real thing that's going to change your long-term outlook on Michael Thomas is if you can get his deal redone, right? I mean, he's got $30 million that becomes guaranteed in 2024 if he's on the roster at the beginning of 2023. I think it's a couple of days into the league year of 2023, so late March or mid-March. And then he's got another you know, 30-some million dollars that would end up being guaranteed in 2024 if he appears or plays in four games in 2023. So not an ideal setup. They'll have to redo all of that. And so I mean, I think, you know, you can see the contract language. There's language in the contract that literally says that the restructure that they did a while back, which allowed them to open up money now without pushing new money into future years with restructures and things like that, which was a wise move by New Orleans, was done to facilitate a release. But doesn't necessarily mean that that, that release is going to happen. So it doesn't seem that the two, that there's any anything, I'll use the word again, anything imminent between the two whether it be moving on, splitting, or uh, or, or staying together. Uh, but if they were to land a quarterback like Derek Carr, I believe that it tells your players that there's an anticipation that you're going to compete in 2023. And so for Michael Thomas, that might you know, lean him into a situation where he wants to remain in New Orleans and certainly would tip the New Orleans Saints to the idea of wanting to keep Michael Thomas around. They'd have to be really creative with how they do that contract um, and how they get it done in order to protect themselves against further injury and things like that. But certainly anything is possible at this point. The, you know, All the options are still on the table. Ross, as we wrap up, you know, we, we talked about some defensive players that, that you're watching here in the scouting combine. Give me three players from the offensive side that you're going to be watching who the Saints have a realistic chance of landing at pick number 29. Uh, at pick number 29, I think at that point, what you're probably looking at is maybe a little bit of the offensive line there. So Florida's uh, Osiris Torrance is is a good uh, option for you to consider at that spot. The Saints should be looking at their future behind Andrus Pete or post-Andrus Pete on that offensive line. And so getting somebody as talented as Torrance, who has never, at least by you know most charting, most most website charting has or analytics charting, uh, has never been credited with allowing a sack during his time, whether it be at UL Lafayette or, uh, of course, in the his SEC year last year uh, with the Florida Gators. Doesn't have an extensive injury history, uh, has an existing one, but not an extensive one that, that makes you concerned. So I would certainly look at him um, there in that spot. 
Beyond that, at 29, I think it's mostly defenders. But, I mean, if you were going to look at somebody there, I'd probably uh, point out you know a couple of the wide receivers that could potentially fall to that area. And so maybe a Zay Flowers out of Boston College who might be one of the better wide receivers. But he is a little bit undersized, 5'10", 180 pounds or so. So he kind of gives you a similar frame to what you have and a similar player to what you already have in both Chris Olave and Rashid Shaheed. But how fun would it be to watch those three guys run around on the field together and rotating with a potential, you know, keepsake in, in Michael Thomas if he ends up uh, sticking around. And, you know, there's not a lot of opportunity or not a lot of times where I advocate for drafting a running back in the first round. But, hey, this year it's such a big need for you with Alvin Kamara potentially going to miss time or expected to miss time in 2020. Three. And so, you know, running back out of, uh, out of Texas, Bijan Robinson, who I mentioned earlier, who, you know, by all stretches of the imagination, really doesn't need to test at all and would be a, is really the only running back in this class that should be a first round pick if any of them are. And keep in mind that, you know, at the bottom of the first round, you're usually drafting second round graded guys as well. Fantastic in between the tackles. Fantastic as a run protector. Uh, you can 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 give you some value on passing downs. I mean, the guy can do everything, and is the exact type of back that the Saints should be looking for to partner with Alvin Kamara when he's available, but could also utilize him in 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 the stead of Alvin Kamara while he's out, and potentially sets them up in terms of having a good future post Alvin Kamara at the position as well. Ross Jackson, host of the Locked on Saints podcast, joining us from Indy for the Scouting Combine. Ross, appreciate you as always. Enjoy your time at the Scouting Combine, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon, my friend. Thanks, buddy. Absolute pleasure. Uh, Thanks so much for having me on. Talk to you here soon. Y'all take care and stay safe. And there he goes, Ross Jackson, host of the Locked on Saints podcast. We'll take a timeout here on Crunch Time, and when we return, LSU men's basketball plays tonight and the UL women play tonight. We'll preview both next. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The monster trucks are coming back to the Cajun Dome with the toughest monster truck tour, March 17th and 18th, and the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles has a VIP package for you and they're in the game rewards club 1037thegame.com the vip package includes four tickets access to the pit area a merchandise certificate and lunch with the truck drivers that friday the toughest monster truck tour is coming back and you could win a vip package courtesy of the game let your voice be heard hello give us a call on the hotline at 337-706-0111 and speak your mind hello this is the game 1037 lafayette and 1041 lake charles southwest louisiana's sports station 522 here on your Wednesday. Welcome back to Crunch Time. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. That's 706-0111. James, LSU closing out their first season under Matt McMahon tonight inside the PMAC. Their final regular season game is they're going to host 21-8 Missouri. You know... When you look at this game, when they last played just a a couple weeks ago, it was on February 1st, so a month ago, exactly, uh, 87-77 to win for Missouri. But that was in Columbia. James, that was kind of the game where 
you thought things maybe were turning around a little bit for this team. Can they end the 2023 season on a high note or in their home stretch on on a high note? They still have one more game on Saturday, but their home regular season finale, can they get a win in front of the PMAC faithful, in, in your opinion? I think it's a possibility. I'm not super strong on it. I know I had said that before, and they ended up winning a game. They finally broke the losing streak. But so, with, so, so go ahead and say it again. I think it's a possibility, but I don't have. You don't. You don't think it's gonna happen? I'm. I've, if I had to put money on it, I would probably go with Mizzou. Even though this is the final home game, and if you get in, have your last home game at least be a win. Then you end the season with a little something. You have a little bit of your pride back. But if I'm going to put money on it, look, I'd, I'd go with Mizzou. I made this joke a month ago when they played Missouri the first time. If you've got a point guard wearing number 24 and his name is Kobe, you're probably a pretty good basketball team. And Kobe Brown is averaging 16 points and six rebounds a game. For the Missouri Tigers. His field goal percentage is nuts. 56%. Yeah. Like, yeah. Not the craziest volume. Oh, that's shooting, solid, though. But that's that's really good. That's solid. That's really good. Um, You know, looking at the points comparison, Missouri scoring right at 80 a game, LSU 67. Um, both teams shooting in the 40s. Uh, LSU actually out-rebounds Mizzou. So that could be an advantage for LSU tonight. Missouri is a four-point favorite inside the PMAC with an over-under of only 149 between the two teams. I don't know that they'll get a win tonight, James, but if I'm LSU... If you can make this close, right? if you can keep this close throughout, or if you make a major comeback to where it is close, you just fall short. Correct. That's still something you could work on and you could get out of there like, okay, well, at least we weren't blown out. At least we kept it close and it was a hard-fought loss. I hate to say it this way, but at this point of the year, you're searching for positives. Mm -hmm. And so if you can contend... You're you're pulling the string on the little things. You're trying to find little things that you can build off of at this point with how disappointing this season has been. Correct. Um, So definitely interested to see how that game will play out pregame is set for 7:30 right here on the game flipping over to the Louisiana side of things the second round of the Sunbelt tournament in Pensacola Florida the 16 and 14 Louisiana Ragin Cajuns will play the 10 and 19 Appalachian State Mountaineers Louisiana comes into this game off of a three game losing streak App State won their final regular season, won yesterday in the tournament, or no, excuse me, they won their final regular season game and then won yesterday in the tournament. So now, you know, here you are sitting in the second round looking for momentum if you're Gary Broadhead because you look at their final three games, they went up to Jonesboro, lost a game that they should have won to Arkansas State. You turn around, you lost to Texas State by seven at home. And then you went to overtime with Southern Miss and lost that one by five. But when you look at the season for Louisiana, they've already played App State once. 
they went up to Boone and beat them by 14. And Tamara Johnson had a very nice game in that one, 22 points, 8 rebounds. You're going to be looking for Tamara to have a similar a similar night tonight um, against the Mountaineers because if you win this game, you're going to go to Friday to play a Texas State squad that you're 1-1 one one with on the year. Yeah, you lost by 7 just last week, but when you went to San Marcos in January, you beat them by 20. So feel like that's a game you could win, and then you could potentially play Southern Miss again both times. The first one you lost by one. The second one you lost by five in overtime. You feel like that's a game that you could win too. So if you're the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, you're not out of it by any stretch. Uh, but you got to take it one game at a time. App State is the goal tonight. Tip-off in that one is set for 730 from the Pensacola Bay Center. Uh, meanwhile, the men will sit and wait until Saturday, waiting the winner of Georgia Southern and ULM in that one. Speaking of women's basketball, the number four nationally ranked and number two in the SEC, LSU Lady Tigers, led by Kim Mulkey, departed for Greenville, South Carolina today. They will get ready to play in the SEC tournament beginning on Friday. We'll chat with our guy Corey Diaz from the Daily Advertiser. He'll give us a preview of the SEC tournament, what LSU needs to do to hoist that championship trophy, and are they on a collision course with Don Staley and South Carolina yet again. We'll talk about all that next. A recent survey discovered that game listeners prefer our station over watching a mandated webinar at work. Oh, thank you, everyone, for coming to this exciting meeting today to discuss... Take that, productivity in the workplace. This is The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 534, welcome back to Crunch Time. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, the game hotline, 337 706 0111. That's 706 0111. The LSU women's basketball team has arrived in Greenville, South Carolina, preparing for their matchup on Friday as they await the winner of Georgia and Auburn. That game will be played tomorrow at 6 o'clock. In Greenville, South Carolina, Corey Diaz, he covers LSU women's basketball for the Daily Advertiser. He joins us on the game hotline to talk about the SEC tournament and what Kim Mulkey and the Tigers have at stake. Corey, what's going on, bud? How are you? What's up, buddy? Doing well. How are you? Oh, doing well, man. Doing well. So, you know, looking at this tournament thus far, things got a little wild this morning between Florida and Kentucky. Yeah, it did. Um, I I don't know how uh, we didn't see actual uh, bows thrown, um, but yeah, I think there was what I think there was eight eight, eight players, players ejected. Yeah, yeah, eight pairs combined uh, ejected. Um, you know, look when you're um, you know when you're a team say like Florida, right? I mean, yeah, obviously you're going to have to probably try to you know win the SEC tournament, you know, to get an automatic bid to get to the NCAA. I mean, that's what. For a lot of these teams that are, you know, outside of the South Carolinas, the LSU's, the Tennessee's, the Ole Miss's, the Alabama's, maybe even the Mississippi States, right? I mean, they have to win the tournament to 
to, to get into the NCAA tournament. Um, so, I mean, when you talk about stakes, um, it doesn't get any higher than that. Every team wants to afford themselves an opportunity to, to have a chance to win a national championship. The only way you can do that is to make the, the NCAA tournament. So, uh, probably won't be the last of the fireworks that we'll see uh, throughout the course of the weekend up in Greenville. Um, so I'm excited to see uh, what the remainder of the tournament has in store the next three days. What do you think the mindset is of Kim Mulkey's group heading into this tournament, knowing that their berth in the NCAA tournament is locked up? Um, I mean, there's just there's no way they don't make the NCAA tournament. But, you know, like Kim Mulkey said earlier this week, she's never won an SEC tournament game as a head coach. She wants to win that SEC championship. This team wants to win the SEC championship. What do you think their mindset is right now? Matt, I mean, I think it's I think it's probably the most relaxed it's been um, since <clears throat> maybe early non-conference schedule, right? I mean, <clears throat> I would even go one further than what you said a second ago. Um, not only is um, LSU's you know birth into the NCAA tournament is that a is that an automatic at this point? I would I would take it one step further and say, I mean, they could lose on Friday to Georgia or Auburn. I think they're still a two seat. I don't think they can lose um, that two line there. So, I mean, I, I think where they are is where they're going to be. And that's even also if they were to, you know, run through and win an SEC tournament championship over South Carolina on Sunday afternoon. I still think that's probably where they will be. They will probably be the number five overall seed. Um, so, when you think about it like that, Matt, like if I'm, if I'm the ladies on the team, if I'm Kim, I literally have no pressure, right? I mean, there's there's nothing for me to lose. I mean, so I think I think we'll see a team that will play with as much reckless abandon um, than we've seen all year long. You know that that's kind of what I was going to get to. Do you, do you think that benefits LSU to kind of play that that carefree and with reckless abandon, like you just mentioned? I do. I think it 100 percent helps them. Um, you know because. You know, and, and look, and I would also say, you know, South Carolina doesn't really have anything to lose either, right? I mean, you know, we saw we saw it with them last year. You know, they lost in the SEC tournament championship game on a on a buzzer beater against Kentucky. I mean, they didn't lose the number one overall seed in last year's tournament. I think I think they're a lock in that space too. So uh, that's why the potential matchup between LSU and South Carolina on Sunday afternoon is, is really it would be really appealing because I mean I think you have two teams that will literally you know, put it all on the line just basically to try to have those bragging rights within the league in a in a space where, you know, we're talking about, yeah, was the league down a little bit this year as opposed to maybe the last two or three years? I would probably make the argument that it was slightly uh, less talented than it has been. But when you look forward uh, to next year and the year after that, uh, I think the SEC is going to be right back up there with, with probably being the best conference in the entire NCAA on the women's side. So uh, to be able to have those bragging rights to go into that stretch of saying, Hey, look, we're the champions. Um, yeah. I think it, I think it 100% benefits LSU because if you think about it, you know, you know, the players like Angel Reese and Alexis Morris, right. They already play, you know, like their hair's on fire. Right. I mean, so with, with literally no consequence of, of, you know, them potentially dropping a game and it hurting the team's, you know, resume or what have you without, with that thrown out the window, I mean, it just kind of frees them up. You know, looking at their two potential opponents, Auburn and Georgia, you look at the previous matchups throughout the year, 
you beat Auburn by 30, and then you had to scratch and claw to beat Georgia by five. Who would you rather play in that matchup? Because it might be obvious to say, oh, the team that you beat by 30, but they might be hungry, seeking for revenge, kind of playing with reckless abandon like you just mentioned, or do, do you risk playing the team that took you to the wire? Yeah, I look, is it is it true that that Auburn's playing better basketball, you know, at the end of the regular season versus what they were, I think it was three and a half weeks ago when they when they came to Baton Rouge and played LSU? Uh yeah, for sure. But I just think as well as Georgia runs their 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 matchup two three zone man defense. Uh, you know, Kim said the other day that, you know, when she was talking with Abramson Henderson, uh, you know, after that game, uh, you know, because Kim thought it was was a matchup zone defense and, and Katie was quick to tell her it's like, no, it's actually it's just a derivative of man defense. Uh we just obviously coach our kids to to defend it really well. Um I don't think LSU wants to see Georgia again personally be, just because of that fact that they're so defensively efficient. Um, they they will make you work uh, for every inch on the floor. Uh, now I do think if 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 LSU does in fact play Georgia again, I, I do think it it won't be an overtime game. I do think LSU will win because I do think Kim and her staff learned some things from the first from the first go around. Um, I do think they would win. But if you're talking about trying to have as as easy of a path to an SEC tournament championship. I think LSU and Kim and their staff and the players would, would rather see Auburn because when you talk about matchups and, and having advantages, I mean, you know, in every box, LSU would have to check when it comes to Auburn. They just, they're just they just a, a mismatch for Auburn. And so um, you're, I think if, if you're an LSU fan, you're, you're kind of hoping that Auburn pulls a bit of the upset against Georgia on Thursday so, uh, so you could get the – not a slight, but uh, I think it's proven with records and all how they've played all year long. But – Georgia is a tougher out than Auburn. Uh, if I'm an LSU fan, I'm hoping Auburn pulls the upset on Thursday. Chatting with Corey Diaz of the Daily Advertiser here on Crunch Time. Now, Corey, yesterday the the SEC yearly awards were, were announced and Aaliyah Boston was given player of the year over Angel Reese. Now, when you compare the numbers, Angel Reese had, by and large, better statistics than Aaliyah Boston did. How much do you think the fact that Aaliyah Boston was playing on a 29-0 and number one ranked team went into her being named the SEC Player of the Year? Well, it, it does factor into it, Matt. But, you know, a, a good portion of that, of those 29 wins is is wins over, you know, top five and top ten teams, top 15 teams. Um, you know, one thing that you know, I did another radio hit yesterday and, and I was obviously asked, but this is what everybody's talking about, right? It's like, how did Angel, you know, get snubbed out of, you know, conference player of the year? Her numbers are wildly better than Aaliyah Boston. Like, what's going on here? You know, I, look, you got to think about it this way. You know, Angel was playing north of 30 minutes uh, against far inferior opponents early on in the season. And so let's just call it what it is, Matt. Her stats are padded. Okay, like you know, if if Kim handled Angel the way Dawn handles Aaliyah, their numbers would be close to the same, right? Because Angel would be losing probably close to ten minutes per game on average. 
you know, what does she do in those 10 minutes? I mean, she's probably, you know, if you just look at the average, she's probably getting you, you know, three to four rebounds in a 10-minute stretch. She's probably getting you somewhere between seven to 10 points in a, you know, a 10-minute stretch in a game. So the numbers would be similar. Um, and so I think people are forgetting that in this debate, which, hey, I love the debate. It's it's obviously great for, for women's college basketball, for, you know, for fan bases to be all up in arms about, you know, their player not getting this award or that player getting that award. It's, it's great. It's what the sport needs. Uh, and in fact, I, I welcome it. Like, keep the debate going. But if you think about this, this particular debate, there's, there's some things that you have to really sort of take a step back and, and kind of survey the whole situation before, you know, just assuming that, you know, one player was, was snubbed for an award or, or they just gave this award to a, a player because she's on the best team. Uh, I think it's a little more nuanced than that. Um, now, of course, I wasn't in the room and it wasn't part of that voting process, but um, there's no doubt when you talk about impact, I do think Angel has impacted her team uh, probably more than just about any other player in the entire country. Um, but at the same time, and Kemp's talked about it before too, right? You know, had we had known we had Angel, we'd probably play a tougher schedule. And I think that would have been more beneficial for her when you're talking about individualistic awards. If she had been able to to do some of these things against, say, a, you know, a UConn or a Stanford or a Maryland or somebody like that, just like Aaliyah did. Corey, you know, looking at LSU, if you had to pick one player that really has to step up for the Tigers to have success in this SEC tournament, obviously, you know, Angel Reese is going to do what she does. But you've looked at Alexis Morris, who who has delivered quite a bit down the stretch. Flauge Johnson's had flashes, but has kind of become inconsistent. Kind of the same with Jasmine Carson. Who needs to step up beside Angel Reese to lead this team to a potential SEC tournament title? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that player is Jasmine Carson, um, and you know, it's for very simplistic reasons, right? Um, you know, right now, you know, if you don't get you know much production, you know, from the outside, you know, teams can obviously just you know really get you know bogged down into the paint, you know, and try to make life really hard for Angel. You know, give her barely no space at all, and and if you do that, you know, if you're not getting really any production from anywhere else, right? It's you know they're going to be suffocated, you know, and so they need to have someone, you know, be honest defensively, spread the floor, uh, and, and and really just make opposing coaches and opposing schemes, uh, you know, honest. And and to me, for for Kim and LSU, that that's Jasmine Carson. If she can, she can come out. And hit a couple of threes early in these games. Uh, I mean, coaches are going to have to come out there and they're going to have to guard her. And that's one less body, you know, that uh, that the paint, you know, whether it's Angel or Ladeja Williams, you know, it's one one more body, one less body that they would have to contend with inside. And so, uh, I, I think I think what we've seen out of Alexis Morris the last two thirds of the season would kind of lend us all to believe that look, she's going to get her, you know, twelve, thirteen points. I, I don't think. Even against the South, I mean, she had 23 points against South Carolina a couple weeks ago on Super Bowl Sunday. I mean, it, it's Alexis is gonna is gonna get you what she normally gets you. It, they need to have that third option, that third consistent option. And in order for this team to make a run at an SEC tournament championship, that that third option is gonna have to be Jasmine with her outside shot. Corey Diaz of the Daily Advertiser joining us here on Crunch Time to talk about LSU's road to an SEC tournament title. 
Corey, appreciate your time as always. Enjoy the weekend covering the Tigers, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon, my friend. Sounds good, buddy. Appreciate you. Talk soon. And there he goes, Corey Diaz of the Daily Advertiser. We'll take a timeout here. We'll wrap up today's show right after this. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You can win a VIP package to Ariel Angels at Michael's Men's Club on March the 8th by sending a simple text to score a table for four with bottle service and appetizers. Join the game's text club by texting ANGELS to 337-283-8100. That's ANGELS to 337-283-8100. And once you are a member, you'll be eligible to score tickets to see the show next Wednesday, courtesy of the Games Text Club. From the Louisiana Raging Cajuns to the latest with the New Orleans Saints and Pelicans, Miguez and Mesh cover it all. I'm not worried. Uh, I think it's something that I can get under control. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Crunch Time here on the game at Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. 553 here on your Wednesday. Got a couple minutes left in today's show. James, one thing that I want to tackle is this survey from crestline.com and it is the it is ranking baseball fan bases it's the most annoying baseball fans in 2023 they asked a thousand MLB fans for their thoughts and, and compiled the results the most annoying fans the New York Yankees the worst behaved fans also the New York Yankees Ooh, take that, Aaron. Oh, Boston Red Sox come in at number two uh-huh. for most annoying and three for worst behaved. And then there's the Houston Astros sitting at number three for most annoying and fifth for worst behaved. Which I don't get the worst. I, the worst behaved I don't get. Because it's like most annoying. I mean, you're just mad because they're good. But like, worst behaved for the Astros? I have gone to many Astros games in my career. Everyone's civilized. My career. My, my career. My life. He <laughs> wants to be an athlete so bad. Never once have I seen an issue. Me either. Never once. And I've gone to plenty. At Minute Maid Park. I've probably been to 10 games at Minute Maid Park. Never seen an issue. Not once. So worst behaved, a little bit of a stretch for me. Never seen a fight. Never seen an altercation. You know who's the least annoying fan base? The Seattle Mariners. I can tell you that's a lie because I know a Mariners fan personally, and she's special. Something. She's special. Good old, good old Hannah Five names. She is, she is something. But then we get to most annoying players and managers, and this is just the top ten. Two of them are Astros. Alex Bregman comes in at number six, which don't. Why? why, How is Bregman? Don't get it. Makes no sense. Is it just because he was there for 2017? And then Jose Altuve, the most annoying player in the league. The man doesn't talk. 
Neither uh, of them really do. What, what what annoys you about him? The fact that he's good? The fact that he has two World Series rings? Like, what? The fact that he's a short man and he's so much better at baseball than you? I right. Like... Right. The fact that he's 5'6 and... 5'6. <laughs> one of the best second basemen in the MLB? Like what, what What annoys you about Jose Altuve? And Dusty Baker coming in at number four for most annoying managers? Again, what does Dusty do? The dude wins. That's it. Tony, Tony La Russa being voted the most annoying manager, that I get. Aaron Boone being voted the second most annoying manager, that I get. Looking at Bryce Harper and Manny Machado and that Aaron makes Judge. sense. Makes sense. Even Carlos Correa. Carlos Correa is annoying. Mike Mike Trout. Yeah, I don't really get that one. Um, Car- Carlos Correa, man, that guy. But I, I would just love to know. I would love to talk to somebody that finds the Houston Astros annoying. And like, give a legitimate reason just other why? than other than the well, they cheated. Like, I would really and truly like to be educated on this. What makes the Astros fan base annoying? Because I don't get it. Maybe I'm being blind to it because I am an Astros fan, but I don't, I just, I don't understand. It doesn't make sense to me. But anyways, I want to take this opportunity to thank our guest today, Mr. Ross Jackson, joining us from Indianapolis for the scouting combine, as well as Corey Diaz, who previewed the LSU women's basketball team preparing for the SEC tournament this weekend. For the producer extraordinaire and my co-host, Mr. James Mesh, and for the intern, Mr. Moses Campos, I'm Matt Miguez. Be safe, be well, hug your mom and them, please. And we will be back tomorrow, same time, same station, right here on The Game at Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Speaking of moms, happy birthday to mine. So I wanted to throw that out there. LSU basketball coming up at 7.30 right here on The Game.